Well, it is good to be with you all. I feel like it's been a long time since I've preached, and so I'm excited. Um, We're going to pray this doesn't fall. There we go. Uh, So how's everyone doing this morning? Good? Good. Kind of felt like fall, finally, right, this morning? Uh, That was, um, since summer just won't go away, um, it's like glitter, just just stays and never goes away. Um, so this morning I want to start off by saying, so there's um, not a ton of things I'm like really, really good at. There's some things that I'm so-so at. But then there's those things that you know you're just horrible at and you're never, ever going to be good at them, right? That thing for me is uh, plants, okay, keeping things alive. So... I brought in a couple examples. I sent Scott to Home Depot yesterday. I'm like, go to the clearance section, buy a plant that looks like it's about to die. Bingo, right there. Um, And then there's this nice thriving plant. So, you know, I can keep uh, my dog alive. I can keep my daughter alive. But plants, I mean, there's nothing I can do. And it's really their fault, if you think about it, because they don't they don't whine or complain when they're thirsty, right? Like your dog or your child does. And people have been so nice, like, oh, I'm going to get you this plant. You can't kill it. I killed it. You know, um, like orchids, I think, that you don't really have to water them that much. Um, my friend got me a, one of those, I think it's a knockout rose bushes, right? That are supposed to just be able to, like, take a huge beating. Um, no, I killed that, too. And so... When we pulled up to our new house that we bought uh, last spring, there's this beautiful landscaping. And I'm like, this house is beautiful. I'm going to ruin it. Um, but so far, so far, knock on wood, everything's uh, still alive, mainly because we have sprinklers that take care of it for me. And it's really, really shady. So, um, so far, I have not killed anything. But I started thinking about uh, plants and how they kind of relate to our spirits and our soul and how... If you don't take care of your spirit, you don't take care of your soul, you don't take care of your relationship with God, it's going to end up like this. And so I'm thinking, like, how can I get from this to this? And so this concept of what we're talking about is that me to we. And as Scott mentioned, he preached last week, solid B performance. And, um, <laughs> and, and so I thought, okay, I, I really want to become more like more like this. And so the scripture we're going to kick off with today um, is Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. So I think we're going to bring that up. All right. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So as I was reading this week, I... uh, I remembered how much I love this scripture. I love this because I feel like it lays out so clearly how much God wants to be with you and how much he desires a relationship with you. He wants you to know him intimately because he knows you 
intimately. And I love the line about how he wants to make a home in our hearts. Now think about the difference between a house and a home, right? There's um, some people that I go to their home, and there's some people that I go to their house. And the difference is, when I go to someone's home, um, I take my shoes off, I put my feet on their coffee table, I rummage through the refrigerator without asking, I know where everything is, I know where their vacuum is, I know their security code, I have a key to their house, like all of that. Like I can nap on their house. Like I've got um, a friend in the church that I do have a key to her house, I do know her security code. Um, why she gave that to me, I don't know. And uh, I can call her and be like, hey, I'm really tired, I have a little bit of time, can I come over and just crash, or I'm hungry, or I need to shower, or my daughter's sleeping in my car, I need to come and use the bathroom. You know, like, it's, it's a home. But a house, you feel awkward, you can't relax, you don't feel like really you're welcome. And I think about how God wants to make a home in your heart. He wants to be comfortable. He wants to be um, welcome. He wants to be part of your life. And I love that, that imagery I have of God having a home in my heart. That he doesn't just pass by. He doesn't stop in. But he is a God that fully wants to um, be with me in mind and be, um, body and spirit. All of that. He wants to be with me. I love that. And then I... I I think about, okay, if God wants to be in my heart, how am I possibly supposed to make space for that? Because God is huge. God is this huge um, creator, this being. And I think about all the stuff that takes up my heart, all the stuff, um, worries and fears and all of that. And I think, how is God possibly going to have a place? How is he going to find room in my crowded hoarder kind of heart, right? And I, I think, okay, if I'm going to make this, um, if I'm going to make a home for God, that probably means I'm going to have to get rid of some stuff. And so um, God may require you to rid yourselves of some things in order for him to make a home. Not that I'm saying, I want to be clear that you have to get rid of stuff in order for God to be able to to have his place. I'm not saying that. God accepts you and loves you as you are. He's going to weasel his way in, okay? He's going to do it. But um, I think about, okay, what are some things that maybe take up um, some space? And in general, uh, if you're like me, you feel overscheduled, overworked. You feel tired. You feel like, um, you know, I've got all this junk in me. So maybe it starts really small, like, you know, I, I need to start saying no to some things in order to make space for God. No to certain committees, although ironically today we're having like a meeting about nominating you all to be on committee, so watch your email box, they're coming. Um, but I think, okay, saying no to things, for me, it's this, I need to put my phone away more, I'm on it way, way too much. It's weird, sitting next to your husband on your phone is not connecting. Weird, is that weird? Um, who knew? I mean, I text him, it's fine. So uh, I think about that, maybe I need to watch less TV, maybe I need to stop doing some certain activity because it really doesn't add much to my life. I think about, um, maybe I need to sacrifice a little bit more, like getting up earlier. Scott can tell you that I am the absolute worst person to wake up. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm cranky. I just am impossible to wake up. I'm the person that sets eight alarms on my iPhone. Anyone out there have eight alarms on their phone? Okay. I snooze them all. So when you do that, you have about 48 alarms that go off if you do the math. Like you just keep snoozing and there's six of them, so they're just all going off. So by the time we wake up, we have no idea what time it is, what day it is, what country you live in, what year, what planet. Like it's the most aggravating way to wake up. How Scott is still married to me, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I think about, okay, if I got up early and spent a little bit more time, I'd be making a little bit more space for God. Or maybe it's something like, you know, I need to have a tough conversation with my boss and not work so late. And that's, that's kind of tricky. Or maybe I need to travel less, I need to do less of that so I can make space for my God. For my God. Or maybe it's a little bit um, deeper. Maybe it's you've got some anger in your heart that you feel like just fills your whole heart. Maybe you've got some shame. Maybe you have some unforgiveness. I mean, the list goes on. Maybe you're simply really depressed and it's just really, really hard to make room for anything because it's so consuming. I think um, we have to invite um, help in in order to maybe make a little bit more space with God. I know Scott and I have talked about this off and on, but um, you know, getting a mentor, getting some accountability, going to see a counselor, a therapist, and maybe if you need, maybe if you need medicine to help you, that is okay. We encourage that because we serve a God that wants you to feel um, healthy and fulfilled and that you can live life abundantly. And sometimes you need a little bit of extra help. But as you start to rid that kind of stuff, as you try to move it out and make more space for God, I think you begin to thrive a little bit more. You start to look a little bit more like this instead of this. And so as, as you continue to read on, um, there's a phrase that says, uh, inner strength through his spirit. And I think about that inner strength. And the reason we started with getting rid of stuff um, is so you can start to build that muscle, that inner strength. You can start to do a little bit more. Um, so you can, again, look more like this. So in my preparation for, for sermon uh, writing, I Googled stuff like on YouTube, bracing for an accident, bracing for a kick, bracing to get hit by a fire hose, which was my favorite one to watch, which, ouch, um, that really hurts. And so I was thinking about, you know, when someone knows how to brace, like if, maybe if you have a, a child that's in karate or taekwondo, like they probably learn how to expect a kick or a hit. Um, and when you're, when you're ready, when you've got that strength to brace it, it doesn't hurt as bad, right? Like you may still get bruised, you may still get knocked um, down a little bit, but it's not the impact is not as much. And I think about that inner strength as we continue to work on that, that things that are thrown our ways don't hurt so much. Like think about those people that are super fit, that eat right, that, um, yeah, they're just, they have great strength, they have good cardio. Um, when they get injured or maybe they have a surgery, most of the time, almost all the time, they bounce back a lot faster, right? Or um, I think about um, those annoying moms that have babies and... Um, and doesn't look like they had babies, right? I'm wearing Spanx right now, just to set the record straight. And you know, they, they wear a bikini next, you know, like two months later. They wear things with spandex. Uh, they don't freak out when their toddler lifts their shirt to look at their belly button, you know? Like, stuff like that. 
good for you. Um, sometimes at night I pray that you have triplets next. That's just being honest. Um, but it's amazing how the body can bounce back and heal itself and continue to be strong when you've done the work, when you've prepared it for the impact that's going to come, right? And I think the same works for our spirit. The same works for our heart. The same works for um, our relationship with God. The problem is, um, we don't know when things are going to be thrown our way, right? And I wish, I wish we did. Maybe it wouldn't hurt so mad. Like, okay, let's plan this out when we, this crisis is coming, so let's plan out what we're going to do. Like, it, do, it doesn't work that way. But I know when, I, when I've put in the work to um, have a relationship with God, to build that strength, to have that faith, to have that hope, um, when things come, yeah, it does hurt. And I still get angry and I still get sad. I, I still feel all of those emotions. We're not exempt from that. Theology that tries to tell you, well, if you're good, you do this, then you're not going to feel this. That's, that's just bad theology. Um, but I think when we've got this inner strength, when we've, when we've built um, in that time with God and invested in God, uh, those times that impact us, they don't hurt so bad. And we can't expect that to come from, well, I go to church once every four weeks. Or I read my Bible for about two weeks and then I take a break for five months. Or I go to small group every so often or I pray here and there. That's not going to build your inner strength. It's, it's, it's daily. See, looking at these plants, um, I know that um, if I uh, forget to water this one, it, it, it's going to probably die, right? And I'm not going to say you're going to die, all right? <laughs> like, you're going to die. Um, that's just bad, too. Or you're too far. God can't save you. I'm not saying that either. Don't, you know, stand. Don't fire me. Um, but when I... Uh, when I think about, if I forget to water this one, it may start to kind of look a little sick, but it's still going to bounce back. And so I don't, I don't want us to be um, a kind of people that are like this most of the time, walking through life like this, and then a crisis hits, and then what do we do? Well, let's just throw a bucket of water on it. Throw it let's just throw a bucket of water on it, and then it'll be fine. That doesn't always work. And sometimes it kind of hurts the plant even more, right? Like, I'm tired of having this faith where it's just crisis and let me just dump the water and let me sustain myself for another day or two and then I'm right back to where I started. See, God wasn't meant to be a safety net. God wasn't meant to be used in case of emergency. God wasn't meant to be pursued and, and invested in and talked to and spent time with every single day. And that allows us to move into this, oh, this is a we thing. It's just not me. I'm just not by myself withering alone. I've got this God who wants to make a home in my heart and help build this strength inside of me. All right. So as we continue um, to spend more time with God, we're going to bloom. We're going to get bigger. We're going to produce fruit. We're going to do all these kinds of things. And I, I'm excited to move from this, from this me, 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 to a we sort of place. Okay. So one thing that I, um, as I was thinking about, okay, what is a scripture that really captures this we 
element of God. Where's this we thing that's very clear? And there's this scripture in in John 14 that we're going to read. And many of you um, probably know it. It's some kind of um, something that Jesus said a lot or alluded to, but I just want to revisit. And it's John 14, verse 10. And it says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. I love that. I love this connected sort of um, perfect relationship that Christ has with the Father. Notice it's really saying that there's a we element. It's just not me, Christ. It's, it's we. It's God and me. And as we know, the Holy Spirit. So in high school, I, um, my best friend Mackenzie and I, we uh, hung out all the time. She was a year older than I was. But we were inseparable. Um, she drove me to school. Um, we were in the elite choir together. We were in shows together. Uh, we went to the same church. I spent every single Saturday night at her house. Every single Saturday night. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not using a preacher exaggeration to make a story fit. It's actual fact. We could actually call her right now. She'd say, oh, yeah, every Saturday night. Um, so she had a bunk bed. I was on the top. I had my toothbrush there. I had toiletries. I had extra clothes. So every Saturday night, and then we'd go to church together. We were so inseparable, so um, together, is that when people would ask us something at school, like, hey, are you going to go to Sonzo's this weekend? Are you going to go to the game? It was always, it was never, yeah, I'll be there. It was always, yeah, we'll be there. Like, we just talked as we, 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 we. Like, we, we joked about it. We thought it was really funny, but people just expected that because they knew wherever she was, I was going to be. Wherever I was, she was going to be. And we know that we, we enter into marriages. Um, it becomes a we thing, right? You become one. It's no longer I or me. It's us. It's we. It's us together. Uh, we do everything. You know that every decision you make, whether big or small, is going to uh, affect your partner, right? And so you start to, start to think more and more about the other person. It's not about you. You're always concerning the other person's feelings. And then you add kids in the mix, and there's more people you have to consider. And even though they can't talk, they, like, run your life and make all your decisions for you. Um, but there's that element of learning, like, oh, this is a we thing. It's, it's, no, it's no longer me. It's, it's a we. And I think that's what uh, God really wants um, for us is is to be invited in. And so you, you start to think, okay, I need to consult God about this. What is, what is God's feelings about this? What, is, what does God want for me to do? So you're moving from that, not me, not I, but we. We, we, we. And, and I think about this in the other areas of my life is, how can I really think about others? Because God is teaching me from this scripture in John that Christ and, and the Father are one, that they're a we, that they're always considering each other. So clearly our God is one that's going to be other-oriented, always thinking about others. So that lives out more into my life, thinking about things that I get, things that I do, things that I, um, that I want or that I get. How does that affect other people? Because I think God is always trying to tell us, I, I need you to consider your neighbor. I need you to love other people. I need you to not just think about yourself. Because I am a God is about that is uh, within the Trinity 
and we're a we thing and we're always considering things, I need you to be that kind because I need you to model after me. See, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had the author of The Shack come. And I remember reading that book when it first came out and it blew my mind about the Trinity. And I know some people had theolo- you know, theology problems with it, rustled some feathers, and, and I get that. But I walked away from that book realizing that the Trinity was absolutely the most beautiful, most um, just together, always other-oriented sort of being. What's so beautiful about the Trinity is that um, not, um, not one part of it wanted to have more glory or more say, or more authority. It was always us together. We're one, we're we, we're us. We're in this together. And um, I think it's such a great model for us. And as I started thinking more about this week, about the Trinity, and this us, and this we, um, I started to think about how it related um, to the uh, events uh, of Las Vegas. But then I started to think a little bit more about what we truly believe with the Trinity. And I think as Christians, we forget that we believe in the resurrected Christ. And what that means is that we believe in a human, you can touch your arms right now, human, your legs don't get distracted by your biceps we believe in a resurrected Christ a human a human a human exists within the Trinity right now so someone like you someone like me is in the Trinity right now and I kept thinking about that okay human a human is in the Trinity The Trinity works together. The Trinity is a we. This is a us. And God is asking us to start thinking about that. And so I lay that on top of the things that happened in Las Vegas. And I realize this God that became human, that came into our our mess and lived this life and saw our pain and, and saw all of this, That when Las Vegas happened, God couldn't say, oh, look what happened to them. Look what happened to those humans. No, God was able to say, look what happened to us. Look what happened to us. And for some reason that just did something inside of my heart to know that God is suffering with us and says, um, You know what happens to you happens to me. What matters to you matters to me. And I thought, you know what? Uh, I am no longer I or me, but I've got this God who says we, you and me, that he can say, Reagan, it's you and me. It's we, it's us. You don't have to be by yourself. You don't have to go through life. You don't have to endure things. And so I thought, why would I ever want to live like this? Why would I ever want to live like this when I'm all about myself? 
when I only think about myself, when I only do things because I want to. Um, So to close today, I know that God wanted to be with us, that the separation between us and and, um, him was too far. And so he sent his son in human form to live among us, to tell us clearly, I love you and there's nothing um, that I want more than a relationship with you daily through everything. I want to be in your hearts. I want to make a home in your spirit and your soul. I want to consume everything about you, your thoughts, your actions, everything. God is saying, stop living like this. Stop living like this. Stop living like me and start living like we because I am a God that is for you and with you and I will do anything, anything in order for you to know that and live that. And to me, that is good news. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful about the way that you exist within the Trinity. That there's this perfect submission, this perfect love, this perfect relationship within yourself. That you model um, to be for other people. That you model to love others, to, to be an advocate, to fight. And it still blows me away that you became flesh to live among us, to love us, to forgive us, to give us grace. And that through all that, really you just wanted to say, I am with you. We're in this together every day, no matter what. Allow us to stop living for ourselves. Allow us to stop being me and I but allow us to be we and us with you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for everything you do to get to us. And it's your name. Amen.